Our scripture passage for today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we have a special guest speaker. Many of you guys know Pastor Peter, and we're so gracious for the partners in Christ that we have to fill the pulpit as needed. So let's welcome Pastor Peter up. green light all right awesome uh thank you for that introduction uh, and thank you for having me my name is peter if we haven't met before um hope you had a great thanksgiving uh today's text is sort of familiar on the one hand but on the other hand uh to do what it actually says is pretty hard right? so it's familiar but to actually do what jesus is telling us to do is pretty hard it's from a section in matthew's gospel that many call the sermon on the mount the Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And in the section that we're going to look at, Jesus tells us that there's a connection between the expression of our Christian faith and how we use our money, right, just in time for the holiday season. Now, let me say this. If you're here at NCF uh, for the first time visiting or checking out Christianity, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I heard one of the biggest turnoffs um, for any person checking out Christianity is when the preacher comes up and starts talking about money from the pulpit, and I think there are really good reasons for that. But, you know, please understand that I am just a, a humble guest preacher. Um, no one asked me, I, I, I promise you, no one asked me to preach on this topic. Um, there's no financial kickback to me as a result of this message. Like, you know, say I preach and the offering starts to go up. I don't get a percentage of the royalties. It's nothing like that, right? But I understand that money is a private and controversial topic. And the reality is, though, 
Jesus did talk about it pretty often. Right? So when someone preaches about it, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. So coming back, by way of introducing the subject, we'll see in our text today that Jesus tells us that there's a connection between our expression of the Christian faith and how we regard and use our money. And verse 21 is a key verse there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? In other words, how we think about our money, what we do with our money is a mirror into the core of who we are. Right? How we use our money is an expression of what our hearts truly value. And so coming to the, the meat of our text in verse 19, right, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right, the word lay up translated in the ESV. Other translations say store up or accumulate. Right, Jesus is telling us that you can either store up or accumulate or lay up your treasures, your precious things here on earth, or you can lay them up in heaven. Right, and what are the treasures that we can lay up here on earth? Maybe it's obvious. Right? It's the things that the world considers precious. Right, later on in the text, he just talks about things like what we eat, what we drink, clothes. Right, today, when I think of like jewelry or brand names, cars and houses and property, right, by and large, these are material things that money can buy. But those are not the kinds of things that we store up in heaven. Right? Like you can't put a Lamborghini on top of an altar, burn it up, and somehow think that the car will get recreated by the smoke up in the heavens. Right? What do you need cars for in heaven? Right? And that's, so, that's true for so many things that we treasure and we store up here on earth. Right? As far as I can read from scriptures, heaven is paradise. Right? There's no shortage of food. There's no shortage of drink or clothing or shelter or even light. Right? No utility bills to pay. We'll see God, the source of all these good things, face to face. Right? There'll be a feast, but on the one hand, we'll always be full. Right? Never wanting for anything. You know, my Bible reading plan had me in uh, Revelation chapter 21 yesterday. And, you know, I was reading Revelation 21, and I caught this little detail. It says, in the city of heaven, right, in, in, in the kingdom that, that Jesus is making for all the saints, the street of the city is paved with gold, right? One of the greatest treasures, one of the greatest commodities that we consider here on earth is nothing but asphalt, pavement in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is telling us here is the call for those who follow him, the call for those who identify as Christians is to live here on earth as citizens of heaven. That's a, a phrase that Paul uses in the book of Philippians, citizens of heaven. The things that we ultimately value, our treasure, should not be of the things of this world. Right? It should not be the things that the world considers precious, the things that should matter to us should matter in the kingdom of heaven. Right, but of course, here's a problem. Here's a problem. We all have a, a weird relationship with money, don't we not? You know, uh, one pastor said it like this, and I thought it was such a great comparison. He said, you know, we can trust Jesus with our sin. We can trust Jesus for our salvation. We can trust Jesus for abstract things like our spirituality. But for some reason, we have a hard time trusting Jesus with our money. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Maybe there's a, a reason for that. 
You know, a few weeks ago, I, I saw this article from a, a well-known pastor named John Piper, and, and there was a quote from the article that I found was so on the mark. Um, he says this, he says, there's a mindset in the prosperous West that we deserve a pain-free, trouble-free existence. And he says, by the way, I, I think you have it here. I don't know why John Piper puts a dash between mind and set. I always thought there was one word, but anyways, I'm, I'm just pacing it the way he said it, right? He says, this mindset Gives, tra- gives a trajectory to life that is almost universal, namely away from stress and toward comfort and safety and relief. Right? And, and, and Piper's focus here in this quote wasn't on non-Christians. He was actually calling out Christians, like many of us here gathered for worship at church today. He was calling out how this particular mindset gets in the way of living the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. And for example, we'll put ourselves out there. We'll, we'll serve the church. We'll, we'll go on missions as long as it doesn't compromise my comfort and my safety. Right? What we tend not to do is we tend not to extend ourselves if it means sacrifice, if it takes away from me, if it becomes a too much of a personal cost to me. And, and, you know, I was reading this article, and I couldn't help but think how how, 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 how this article, you know, is so applicable to the topic of money, right? We might give a little here and there if at all, right? But if we feel this need to, to hold on to our finances, to, to buy the things that we ultimately value to provide us that comfort and that safety and relief, right? We have this weird relationship with money. Now, having said all this, you know, I don't think that Jesus or the Bible as a whole is against good money habits. That's not what I'm talking about, right? There's, there's nuance there, right? Because the Bible as a whole is not against saving. It's not against rich people, right? Before I offend some of you, or maybe I offended all of you, I don't know, right? But for example, there are examples of good, holy, rich guys in the Bible, right? Guys like Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Boaz, King David, Solomon, well, Solomon kind of went off the deep end, you know, later on in life. But, you know, we'll consider him a good guy, right? Good, rich, holy guys in the Bible, right? And even in the New Testament, Paul calls on Christians who are rich. He doesn't condemn them because they're rich, but he calls on them. If you have wealth, please share your wealth with the poor, with poorer Christians, right? So the Bible's not anti-wealth. It's not anti-saving either, right? There are several proverbs that tell us it's good to prudently plan with your finances. This one's not as direct, but in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, you know, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an, an, than an unbeliever. Right? The Bible's not anti-wealth or anti-saving. But what I think Jesus is calling out here in our text in Matthew chapter 6 is the kind of relationship that all of us are way too prone to have with money especially in a context here like Metro New York City, right, where money becomes more than a, a means to an end, where money can become our treasure, our precious, right, the thing we seek after, something we always feel like we need more of, something we long for more of, you know, just a, a little more in the life I've always imagined just seems within grasp, just a little more, just a little more. It's a thing I trust in to provide, 
to give me that lifestyle and the security that I long for. You know, and, and many of us, you know, especially coming from immigrant families, we, we grew up with this mindset. You know, I um, remember talking to a brother in my church. He's another Korean-American um, like me. His parents came to the States, you know, not really speaking the language. You know, they worked long hours, six days a week in jobs that you and I probably can't handle or never mind their kids, right? So they worked in these hard, laborious jobs. And he was recalling how, you know, you know, They'd spend all this money. They'd do everything in their power to give them a great education, to set them up to be successful. But even though they were Christians, right, the metric of what it means to be successful had less to do with character, had less to do with Christ-likeness, had less to do with being undivided followers of Jesus. No, it had to, it had to do with the same things that the world values. Prestigious job, a great title, Right, lots of disposable income to buy anything you want, to go anywhere you want to go, access to networks, access to people in high society. Right? And by the way, if you're single um, and you know, you're of age you know, to you know, get married or whether, these are the things that even Christian parents tend to value when they try to set you up with a potential spouse. Right? Am I right? Right? It's uh, you know like the, you, know, the, you have the you have the box to check off. Yeah, they're a Christian, right? It's, it's like yes or no, right? But what they really value is looks, potential, right, and eligibility. And eligibility is measured by your potential for worldly success, right? And you know, on the one hand, I can't be too hard on our parents' generation. It's understandable, right? It was hard for our parents. They really didn't speak the language. They had to grind it out just to put food on the table, and they didn't want their kids to go through the same suffering, right? But here's where we really need to be honest with ourselves when we think about money, when we think about finances, right? Is money a means to an ends, or is it something more, right? Is it something we really treasure? You know, my pastor um, said this once on a pulpit, you know, just as a random one-off comment, and I thought it was so true. He says, the way you handle your finances is directly connected to the trajectory of your spiritual life. Right? Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Right? Jesus says it again in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? And so in verse 22, Jesus invites us to honestly examine ourselves, to honestly see into our own hearts. He says in 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, at first glance, um, you know, this section, I always struggled with it, right? It didn't seem to, like, my eye is a lamp of the body. What are, you, what are you talking about, right? It didn't seem to match the context of what Jesus was talking about before and after these verses. But what Jesus is doing here is he's using the eye as a metaphor for the heart. Right? Jesus says if your eyes are healthy, right, that word healthy is derived from the word that means single in Greek, right? as in single-hearted, as in undivided loyalty. Right? Eyes that are healthy provide proper light for the body. In other words, eyes that are healthy, it means your heart is in the right place. It sees reality for what it is. It perceives truth 
accurately, and it causes the body to act accordingly in a wise way. Right? In contrast to this, in verse 23, when Jesus says, your eye is bad, that word bad is derived from the word evil. And a one commentator I, I, I read said this, that there's a, a Jewish idiom called the evil eye, right? And it's describing someone who's like really cheap and miserly and selfish. And Jesus said someone with a bad eye is not seeing reality clearly. Right? On the one hand, they say, yes, I love God. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I trust in God. But by their actions, specifically by their use of money, their lives tell a different story. What they're really doing is they're laying up treasures on earth. They store up, they accumulate for themselves. By their actions, they show that money and not God is the true object of their devotion. Right? When push comes to shove, money, not God, is what they actually look for for their security to provide. Right? And they might not always flaunt it. Right? it does, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you, you're always flashing with nice brand names and nice jewelry. They might drive normal cars, wear generic clothing, uh, but when they go to the bank and they see that big balance, it provides them that, that sense of relief. Right? And they'll do anything to protect it. Right? Here's a, I don't know if we have it, here's a fun graphic that I pulled up here. Check it out, right? Um, look at it, it looks like it's moving, right? It looks like it's animated a little bit. But I, I promise you, it's not. It's a, it's a static picture, right? Something about the way that the circle is, you know, with the faded dots, it, it causes our, our brains to anticipate movement, right? So it looks like it's moving, but our eyes are actually tricking us. It's not an animated, you know, image by any means, right? In a similar way, Jesus is saying is that as long as that duality exists in our hearts, where on the one hand, we say we trust in God, yet our actions demonstrate a real trust in money, Jesus says our bodies are full of darkness. We're tricking ourselves. We're not seeing reality for what it is. Our eyes aren't working the way they should. We think that the darkness in us is actually light. Right? And so Jesus calls out this contradiction in verse 24, right? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Right, so we have to ask ourselves at this point in the text, right, what does it look like to have healthy eyes? What does it mean to be single-hearted in our devotion to God? What does it mean to, to lay up our treasures here in heaven? Well, I mentioned before that this section of our text comes from the Sermon on the Mount that starts in Matthew chapter 5. And if you look from chapter 5 to where our text is now in the end of chapter 6, um, you look at all the times that Jesus promises reward in heaven. I look at all the times that Jesus promises reward in heaven. You'll see that, uh, you'll see it's people who in their character embody the things listed in what we call the Beatitudes. Right? These are people who are poor in spirit. These are people who are meek, they're merciful, they're pure in heart. Right? These are people who pray and fast. These are people who practice their spirituality, not to be seen by others, but in the secret place where others would, would never know. Because what they care about is not the approval of others. What they care about is a true, authentic, intimate relationship with their creator. And so in their lifestyle, because they have God, they are 
blessed to use that word in the Beatitudes, even when they're mourning, even when they're in hunger, even when they're persecuted for righteousness. How about their finances? They are generous with their money because they see it for what it is. It's, it's God's money. We're all just managers. We're just stewards of it. Right? So they can freely and generously give to the needy. And so to summarize, biblically speaking, laying up treasures in heaven is living a life that finds its comfort, its security, its freedom in submission to God, no matter what the circumstances. It's a a life that's remarkably selfless. It's a life that's able to to see others. I heard one pastor say it this way, and I absolutely agree with him. One of the key measures of how real Jesus is to you one of the key measures of how much you've progressed in your faith with him is expressed in how you're able to truly and selflessly love others. And maybe that shouldn't surprise us, right? Paul says in Galatians 5.14 that the entire law is summed up in this command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, what does it mean to love? Love's not just a a, a bubbly, warm feeling. Love often costs costs time. It costs emotion. Right? Things like forgiveness comes at a cost to my own pride. It comes at a cost to my own comfort. Right? And more to the, the point of our passage, love costs financially. Yet loving others means you're, you're pleased to give it, right? whether you're expressing hospitality or you're providing financial relief to someone in need or you're giving regularly to the church. You know, if a, if a critical mass of individual members of the church live this way, right, a life that depends on God, much in the way that the world depends on money, a life that really depended on God, and if a critical mass of individuals really heeded the call right, to lay up their treasure in heaven, you know, imagine the kind of community the church could be. Now, there's this great quote from uh, Tim Keller, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was preaching this and, and giving this, this, this kind of illustration. He, he said the early church was, was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. He said the pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. Right? The pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everyone their body. And as I read that quote, you know, I, I, I thought about, you know, the 90s sitcom Friends. You know, these are a bunch of guys that live in metro New York, right? I, I don't know if they share generously with each other their finances, but everyone seems to have dated everybody else, right? They freely give of their body, but they were stingy with their money, and the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave everybody their money. Right? They took the bidu- biblical sexual ethics seriously. It's teaching about family seriously, and, but with their, in their relationships with one another, when it came to opening their wallets and their pockets, they shared everything. Right? And then Keller asks this at the end of sharing that. He says, what kind of community would you rather be a part of? What kind of community would you want your kids to grow up in? Right? Promiscuous with body, stingy with money? Or promiscuous, generous with money, yet respectful of your body? Right? So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to a place where we're doing this, where we're laying up treasures in heaven? Because just deciding consciously to do what Jesus is telling us to do, it's not easy. 
right? Moving to verses 25 to 34, I'm not going to read it all, right? But Jesus says, if you live the life I call you to, you know, as for your earthly needs, he says, don't be anxious about your life. And I just want to notice how many times the word anxious appears there, right? Anxious, anxious, anxious. I think he was trying to communicate something to us, right? We get anxious because if we live the life Christ calls us to, um, it's really hard. Because on the one hand, money feels safe. Money is reliable, right? You can count it. You can smell it. You can control it, right? You've seen how people wield money around, and it just seems to make people move, right? Money is reliable. You can trust it to provide directly for your clothes, your food, and your drink. Money feels safe. Right? But on the other hand, God doesn't always feel the same way. Right? Trusting God requires a measure of faith. Because right? unlike money, God isn't a credit card that you can pull out to buy whatever you want. God doesn't respond like a genie to all our material wishes. No, God is a, a multi-dimensional being that we're called to have a relationship with. Yet when Jesus tells us not to be anxious about our lives, what we'll eat, what we'll wear, he tells us that we can have peace. He tells us that we can feel safe because he says God knows, your Father knows that you need them all. And just as he provides for all his creation, you can trust that he'll provide for you and give everything that you truly need. Right? But for many of us, there's the, the hang-up, isn't it? Right? It's actually scary to walk out in faith. It's scary. It's, it's unsettling to walk out and trust in God and trust that he'll have your back when it comes to our daily bread. And if I can get real, you know, um, for a second, uh, we know that a life in submission to God isn't always a life of joy. It isn't always a life of pleasure. Right? We've seen it, right? There's plenty of Christians go through hard times. Christians seem to suffer in the same way that non-Christians do. Right? So how does God prove his trustworthiness? How do we know that no matter the circumstances that we can trust in the Lord, trust that he has our best interests at heart? Right? And to answer that, I think we need to go back to what Jesus said in verse 25. Right? He asks this, he says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Um, a friend of mine from church um, invited my family over to the house the other day, and um, they also invited a few friends that I didn't know, right? So, you know, those kinds of gatherings where you invite people that don't know each other. It can either be great or it can be really bad, right? But luckily, it was great, right? So we were all standing around the table, and I got talking to one of them, and he, he shared with me a little, about, a little about his life, right? And it turns out he's, like, he's super successful, right? He's got a thriving business, happy marriage, two older kids that are setting up great lives for themselves. Like, he seemed to have it all. He seemed, to, he seemed to embody what many of us strive for, right? So I asked him, you know, hey, do you go to church? And he said, actually, he's a devoted practicing Roman Catholic, right? We, we, that's a different topic for another day. But the, the fact is, he's a devoted practicing, 
we can call him Christian, right? Roman Catholic, right? And I just made the remark that, you know, I'm always fascinated by people who really take their faith seriously. Like, I, I'm always fascinated by people who really, like for some reason or another, they're really devoted to their faith. And he said this, he said this to me, he said, no matter how bad or how great life is, you know, I feel like I'm always searching for something. I'm always searching for something that I can't find in this world. I feel like I knew exactly what he was talking about because all of us intuitively know in the depths of our souls that what Jesus says is true. Life really is more than food. And the body really is more than clothing. It reminds me of that famous quote from C.S. Lewis, you know, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, maybe the answer is that I was made for another world. And Jesus is saying, indeed, we were made for another world. And the reason why our text exists, the reason why Matthew 6 exists, is because Jesus, the Son of God who existed in all eternity as spirit in the heavens, came down in the form of a man and actually made his dwelling among us. Right? And the reason why Jesus came was not just to be another moral teacher to teach us things about things like managing money. No, out of an amazing heart of love out of an overflow of grace and generosity, a generosity that would cost him not just his things, but his actual life. He came, he lived, and he died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. And why did he do that? He did that in pursuit of us. He did that in pursuit of us who were dead in our sins, who didn't know to seek him, so that if we hear his words, and if we respond by faith and we join him in his death by denying ourselves and denying all the things that we have in this world, like our money, and we take up our cross, the promise is just as Jesus Christ was raised in three days, we will be raised again in the power of his resurrection. And we're born again into a new dimension of life, a new life as, as children of God who have unlimited access to the Father, who have unlimited access to a kingdom that's to come, that's to one day be fully realized, where that will be the reality, right? Where we'll experience, you know, to quote that hymn, where, where fears are stilled, where strivings cease, where we can finally taste that something that C.S. Lewis longed for. And until that day comes, God, the creator and sustainer of all things, who knows the, the number of hairs in our heads, who provides for the birds and, and dresses the lilies of the fields. He promises to, to never leave us nor forsake us, no matter the circumstances. Right? Even if trials and hardships come, and they will, Jesus promises it. The promise is that he has a good reason for letting them come deepen us and to make us more like him. Like money can't buy any of this. Money can't buy you a ticket into eternal glory. But by trusting in Jesus, it's ours. And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him us for us all, will he not along with him graciously give us all things? And so to wrap this up, you know, I want to borrow this takeaway I heard from one pastor that I thought was so on the mark. He said this, he said, Let's try actually doing what Jesus is telling us to do. 
right? Let's, let's try to not lay up our treasures here on earth, but to place our trust in God and really change our relationship with money, right? Let's try holding our money a little more loosely, right? And maybe if I could really bring it down as a real practical takeaway, right? Maybe we can try over the next couple of pay periods, like if you live a corporate job, if you work a corporate job, you probably get paid twice a month on the 15th and the 30th, right? Or whatever your pay cycle is, try the next couple of pay periods to try to systematically give your money away. Right? Not all of it, right? Of course, you know, we have mortgages, rent. You know, Bible's not against good money habits, right? That's not what this sermon, this passage is about. You know, we have things that we need to pay for. But let's try to systematically give our money away. And the point of this is to really test yourself, to test whether there's a part of you that might be serving both God and money, right? Try over the next couple pay periods to give enough of it away where you, you kind of feel it, right? Where it kind of hurts, right? And maybe, you know, whether it's, you know, to your church, right? Whether it's through NCF, um, again, no kickbacks if you do that, or an organization that you really believe in. And if this ends up being difficult for you, maybe there's something there, right? Maybe there's something there that we need to lean into and surrender to God. Because again, the reality is you cannot serve both God and money. You either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And if the words of Jesus are true, right, that money is the true treasure of your heart, you might be missing out on the greatest life that Jesus calls us to if we follow him. All right, let's pray together. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, this text this passage, Father, unconsciously, I sense that many of us here, especially in the metro New York area, we're captive, we're held in bondage by money and finances and the things that it can give to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes, Lord, that the, the, the eyes that we have, that we tend to have, makes our bodies really dark. Right? And how great is, if the light in our bodies is darkness, how great is that darkness? I ask of you, Father, that you would open our eyes to see reality for what it is. It's not life more than food. It's not the body more than clothing. There's a dimension to existence that you want to awaken in us, a spiritual reality that surpasses anything that we can lay up here on earth. Will you help us to see that? Will you help us to surrender all of our lives, including our finances, to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.